0: Hello, I'm Philip Brain. And I'm Harry Clinton. And you're listening to Reflections by Spectacles. Today we're going to be talking about an insight that I wrote called Ortega's Propaganda Peddlers. It's about the Nicaraguan election in which incumbent President Daniel Ortega won re-election after jailing almost all of his opposition and the American commentators invited to observe the election, who have come back and spread their stories that nothing was amiss at all. Yeah, so I think that was a really interesting
1: piece, Philip, and I want to dive into it a little bit more, Thank but you, I'm just going to seize on I'm just going to seize on one line uh, that you had where you mentioned your own personal experience with pro Chinese Communist Party uh-huh. Twitter users uh, oh, yeah. uh, using it was on the Spectacles, Spectacles account. I know the story of this, but I think that it's sort of an interesting way of framing what happens on social media with this stuff these days. Yeah,
0: Go I mean, it. it's it's kind of crazy. It it was sort of spurred off of the basketball player. I don't remember his name. Inez Cantor. Inez Cantor? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Inez Cantor, who posted this video, went viral talking about free Tibet, the, this region which has been occupied by the Chinese government and their claims of human rights abuses and all kinds of things. And Which was a bold thing for him to do because if, if China's a huge recall, market yeah, for the NBA. Yeah, and
1: if you recall what happened with the Houston Rockets, what, two years ago?
0: They had to apologize. Now I think the Houston Rockets still aren't shown on,
1: on, on, on Chinese right, TV. Right,
0: right. So it's... <laughs> and. and you you can lose all kinds of, you know, sponsorship deals and all and things like this. So it's a it's a risky thing to do and something that the NBA generally doesn't like its players to do. But he did it. And for example, I went into the comments just because I was sort of curious what people were saying. And I saw this person whose name on Twitter was Christy Franklin, who said, I don't know what you're talking about. These people look fine to me and foreigners are able to visit and linked this YouTube video. To this woman who is apparently some kind of vlogger who is visiting Tibet, uh, talking about how, oh, it's like all fine, everything's all good. And I basically replied, saying, you know, this is kind of crazy that you would say a YouTube, some random YouTuber you don't know anything about, is some reliable source compared to the fact that all kinds of experts who study the region have corroborated a lot of the stuff that Cantor says. Right, And she replied, you know, like these people have never been to Tibet. This person has been to Tibet. They're more reliable. And then sure enough, I went to their profile and they were posting uh, articles about how the Tiananmen Square massacre was a hoax. Meanwhile, their bio basically just said, oh, like I'm Christy, I'm 17. I'm excited to study like environmental science at college. And everything on their Twitter profile, every post they made was regurgitation of China Chinese state propaganda. Right. I mean, so it's it was clearly uh, a fake account, and mo- I mean, I have a very hard time believing that was a real person. Right. But it seems to me it was a fake account, and I posted a thing about it on our Twitter, and we basically got mobbed. Yeah. By. Dozens and dozens of similar accounts basically saying, wow, you have no argument. So you just say that like, these people are being ridiculous, like blah, blah, blah. Nothing's happening in Xinjiang. There's no Uyghur genocide. The Tiananmen Square massacre was a hoax. Are you crazy? Right. And it's just like, the swarm of response right. was stunning. So that's a long story, but I think it really is kind of a it's kind of a disturbing story to see happen in action.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think what's interesting is that there's sort of this weird phenomenon which we talked about sort of as we as you were getting getting this piece ready where There's this sort of transnational element where a political regime can find supporters in a foreign country and get them to basically swear some kind of fealty on social media or or post propaganda. And and this obviously cuts in multiple directions, right? Like, I'm sure the United States funds social media opposition operations in countries that it doesn't like. But
0: it's true. This is sort of this weird transnational phenomenon. But there is, I think, I mean, look particularly you can divide you can divide things into i think it's more productive than dividing it between are other countries doing it and is the US doing it into what kind of stuff is the US sponsoring versus what kind of stuff is the are these countries sponsoring and right. there's no absolutely no doubt and I would never argue that the U.S. has not sponsored authoritarian regimes in in contradiction to democratic wills of people in many countries. Sure. We can
1: talk about that when it comes to Nicaragua. But yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah, there's absolutely no doubt about that. But I think more of the things happening right now, especially these people would complain about, are like radio-free China or radio-free mm-hmm. Tibet, the right. efforts by the U.S. to bring information and democracy propaganda for democracy right. and against the Chinese regime right. to these regions. And on the other hand, you have people like Ortega running authoritarian regimes, running propaganda machines to justify it. Mm-hmm. So if you have a commitment to democracy, there's a difference between those sure, two things. Sure. Right. One, they're both they're both maybe propaganda but if you believe in liberal democracy and you think that authoritarianism is a bad way of organizing society, which is against, you know, human rights and things like this, then sure, you can admit they're both propaganda, but you can also say one of those things is is decent and the other is right. awful. Right, right, But that's a side point that I no, just no, wanted no. I to think mention. That's, I think
1: that's useful. So what we see is that this happens, obviously, generally been well documented that China has has an extremely well funded operation that it's got a lot of people who are involved in this kind of stuff on social media. That may not be as much the case in Nicaragua, which, if you don't know, is a small country in Central America, not not wealthy. Hard to
0: believe they've got the same resources, right?
1: But you do have. Historically and currently, an international movement of people—and as as Philip noted in the article—not a unified movement, but on the left there is a sort of subsection. There's a subsection, subsection, um, which is not insignificant subsection. Not at all. In this case, I mean, if you look at like Cuba, for example, you might see that the the further left in the United States, there's a more unified defense. I'm not even going to touch that here, but with some, there's been a sort of separation within the case of Nicaragua, as, as Philip points out in the article. Right. But that there is, you can get people to come from websites like Grayzone, which is basically a left wing misinformation website, and and this Convo Couch, which I've this is a podcast of I think a husband and wife who call Ilhan Omar an imperialist and. um you know those kinds of things, right? So that that should give you a sense of where they their also, heads are at. They also,
0: <laughs> they spread all kinds of vaccine misinformation on top yeah. of their on top of their. That's actually a really strange new bogus. thing that has
1: happened. Is that you have this like subsection of the left? This is also gray zone, also convo couch, and Jimmy Dore, who you also mentioned in the piece, who have now become like hardcore it's, anti-vaxxers. It's
0: all consistent, though. Is the thing It's because these people generally their their worldview is composed. Most importantly, of a skepticism of authority and elites, particularly American or Western authorities. Well, I'd say only Western
1: (laughs) authority. I mean, they're they're very skeptical, supposedly, of state authority unless the state authority has a red flag and you
0: know and is totalitarian. And they say, you know, so in the case of Nicaragua, it's like, oh, of course, Daniel Ortega is telling the truth because, of course, America would lie about it because, of course, it's America. Right. And in the case of vaccines, it's like, well, of course, the American government is lying about it because it's the American government. Yeah. Meanwhile, no suggestion of belief that the Nicaraguan government is lying because they couldn't do anything wrong because as harry says they've got their red flag right not to mention that they're in no meaningful way truly socialist and if right. and if and if for example you're a socialist because you care about human rights or something like that which there are v- decent and principled people who who are that way right you know, I, i'm not one of them but they they exist and i don't want to discount that but if you are that kind if you are that kind of socialist who is that way because you care about human rights then you would look at Nicaragua and say, "Wait, Something's I believe that here. people should should get to vote, and you shouldn't get to jail any opposition that might speak for the people." Right. That's anti-human rights, right? Right. Um, so <laughs> well, let's. I mean, I think it, it's it's go it's, ahead. it's not that they're socialist principally; it's that they hate American authorities. Right. Right. That that forms the backbone of their worldview.
1: Right. I mean, let's let's trace the history back briefly here to what's gone on in Nicaragua. I think that can help sort of illuminate maybe some sort of this as a vestige of what you could call a principled socialist opposition. Daniel Ortega was a, a revolutionary leader of the Sandinista movement in Nicaragua. In the uh, '70s, and then came to power through the revolution. Or actually, he was elected in what is regarded as a free and fair election in 1984. You know, in Latin America, in Nicaragua in particular, in the 1980s, the Reagan administration did its best to undermine socialist governments, even those that were elected through free, through, through free and fair they elections, They've, had the
0: will of the people behind right, it, legitimately.
1: Opposition, the Contras. Who were not nice people, and <laughs> yeah, that's, and, that's... and electoral and and an, uh, electoral opponents against the Sandinistas. Ortega was voted out, I believe, in 1990 or 1991. Uh, I think he ran against a, a candidate that was openly backed by the United States, but then he was elected again in 2007 or 2008.
0: Since then, you've seen.
1: He abolished term limits as well.
0: The really strong arming of elections right. that we right. see on display, right. for example, here. And there was
1: significant repression, I think, starting in 2018 by his government. Long story short, there's like a legacy of opposition. And again, I'm not a socialist. So, uh, you know, we don't, and it's spectacles. We're not socialists. We don't. Agree with socialism as as an ideology, or it contravenes
0: Um, a number of principles of liberal democracy that I think are really important.
1: Right, but there is sort of a historical precedent for the United States being a pretty bad actor in world politics that has maybe left this legacy.
0: But at this point, I mean, you could say you could say, okay, well, the election of really socialist, not social democratic, but but a socialist government is not within the principles of liberal democracy. And so you don't really like that regime. Right. But there's a big leap between I don't like that regime, I think it's bad, and, and ultimately I think it's anti-democratic. Right. And the U.S. should send boots on the ground or fund boots on the ground. Right. I mean, spectac- right. We, we've talked repeatedly about we these, not only is it, morally questionable to do those kinds of things, especially if your goal is to help citizens to bring that kind of strife on them. But it also doesn't really work that well. So we've written a number of times that spectacles right. about yeah, it's important to care about what goes on in other countries. And we certainly do. Right. But we wouldn't gotta be about it all the time. You, you gotta didn't. you gotta be you gotta be thinking about better ways, more constructive ways to help dem- support democracy around the world than right. what we've done in the past.
1: But at this point, whatever the legacies are this is not a guy who is embodying the principles of uh, Marxism or
0: is embodying the principles of Ortega.
1: Yeah, exactly. Right. And so, I mean, and that's the point is that he's lost a lot of support among, I guess, you know, mainstream left organizations like the Democratic Socialist America or Jacobin Magazine, as as, as Philip cited in, in the piece. And so it's in- incredibly important for him to get these propagandists, these artists of misinformation on board to basically say that oh because there's no like clear evidence of same-day election fraud that everything's all right that it doesn't like i don't know i mean i don't know what their justification of him like arresting opposition or banning them from running or exiling them from the country is
0: very very few dictators around in the world Compared to the past, are either stupid enough or secure enough in their position right. where they can do overt electoral fraud and yeah, you know, and either get away with it or be stupid enough to do it without getting away with it. Right, right. Most of them either are in a are, most of them are in a position where they can't get away with that, and they recognize that, and they do something like even like what Ortega's done, jailing opposition way mm-hmm. beforehand. So you can say, oh, the vote was conducted freely and fairly. We counted them. We didn't modify the count. Right. And that may be true. Or you do more subtle things like Viktor Orban has done, which in is Hungary. rewrite the electoral rules and redraw the districts such that you basically can't lose. Yes. And the effect is the same. Right.
1: Right. I mean, that's the thing is, and that's, you know, to the point we've, we've been discussing this in our, in our Bird's Eye episodes. That's why Philip brings up Hungary, that you you see these sort of much more subtle tactics of eroding democracy. And I don't think that people. uh, Nicaragua was a democracy. Well, I wouldn't say that Nicaragua was a democracy before, say, 2018, when Ortega got really nasty with the crackdowns. But whatever the quality of democracy was, you can see that it's been undermined by these tactics, which in this case, may not be particularly subtle, but are not as overt as simply, you know, having yourself win 99% of the vote on election day or something like that.
0: Yeah, and so I think ultimately the point is you might read or listen to the article that came out today and think, okay, well, obviously. I mean, if you jail the opposition, it's not even that subtle. But the fact of the matter is that even that most of the time, more covert than that or more subtle than that and even in the case of Nicaragua you can see even though it isn't subtle at all you can still see that it provides just that little bit of cover for people to take the story and run with it Mm -hmm. that leads to all kinds of disinformation yeah exactly and all kinds of confusion and all kinds of information exhaustion for people who hear about it they hear these different stories and they think I don't know what to think and you know going in to look you know, closely at different stories and things like this can be sort of intimidating. And so it leads to a lot of people throwing up their hands and saying, oh, well, I don't know. Right, And right. that's, you know, that's really bad.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that, again, and this is a point that I think we've hammered home a couple times in previous Bird's Eye episodes, but that the very fact that they feel that authoritarians today feel the need to hold elections and say, look how democratic we are and the need for democratic legitimacy shows, and yeah. if there's a, case for optimism in these yes. sorts of situations is that democracy has a strong moral hold over most people in the world yeah. today, right? I mean, not yeah. I don't, I would say, yeah, I'd say most people in the world the majority of, of citizens of countries in the world, democracy has a moral hold, or that there's such a norm in international politics that you feel the need to say, hey, we had this election and it's democratic. Now, the unfortunate thing about that is that because these tactics have emerged where you can jail your opposition in the less subtle cases or do what Viktor Orban has done, which is, you know, redraw districts or change the electoral laws so that you get more seats so that, you know, the system is weighted towards you and your party, that these tactics have emerged so that you can have elections and most mm-hmm. countries do have elections and still not be able to see that they're like reliably free or fair or that there's meaningful contestation for political power so on one hand there's reason to be optimistic people care about democracy citizens care about democracy leaders care about democracy they all say that they do and they actually behave in ways that suggest they do and the institutions the international institutions we've created do have a concern for free and fair elections and political contestation yeah at the same time it's disheartening because It's not just a checklist, right? It's not just a checklist of do you have elections? Do you have a court? Do you have these things that constitutes what liberal democracy is? It's so much more than that. And there are all these different little loopholes that you can play with as as a soft authoritarian or as an aspiring authoritarian that can really undermine it. And so you can get a situation which is really, really ugly, which is what you see in Nicaragua with the election um, recently. And, of course, the looming power of misinformation continues, and it's not just we've talked about it on the right, we've talked about it with the oil lobbyists, right, and it matters. it exists on the left too, and that you know I mean, as someone who generally considers himself a progressive, that's not always the most comfortable thing to say, but these people are not the friends of of democracy. they aren't no
0: clearly they are not no and 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 besides the one who are besides the ones who may be absolutely witting grifters, no that it's bogus, but they'll take the money and they'll take the ads and they'll take the subscriber revenue. Right. Right, because they, they'll they'll eat it up, whatever.
1: Because they're capitalists.
0: Um, <laughs> despite, <laughs> despite how they might la- lambast capitalists, yes. But yeah, despite that, uh, besides all these people who might be winning manipulators of information because it's profitable, there are also a lot of people who have even bigger followings who may not be as witting manipulators of information as much as they just don't think very hard right. before they share things yeah. with their potentially very large audience. Yeah, Because people like Jimmy Dore, who, we, who I mentioned in the article, has like 300,000 followers on Twitter. Convo Couch has 10,000. Right. So this is 30 times the size of Convo Couch, roughly.
1: I think Jimmy Dore is a grifter
0: yeah I mean I don't know a lot about him, but I think there are a lot of people out there in positions like his who have bigger followings who may not know that what they're selling is bogus because they don't really know a lot at all right. <laughs> and but they're willing to just throw things out there that sound right to them and just promote nonsense because it it sounds true and it's you know it's what my audience wants and that's also really dangerous. Once these smaller outfits, once these smaller grifters set up these stories, right. That then bigger voices can unthinking can thoughtlessly amplify. Right. But anyways, I think that's probably where we've gotta cut it off today. We've gone on for a little while. That's all for today. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider subscribing and share this episode with your friends or on social media. If you'd like to listen to each new article of focus and insight read aloud. Follow the link in the notes for Spectacles Out Loud. If you'd like to make a comment on the episode that you just heard, there's a link to our website, also in the notes, where you can also subscribe to our newsletter if you haven't already to receive a new way of seeing politics in your inbox five days a week. And find us on Twitter, at Spectacles Media. Thanks for tuning in.
1: Thanks.